to A Coach's Perspective. I'm your host, Jenny Hopkins, and this show is presented to you by Great Southern Bank. Great Southern Bank, our wonderful partners in our adventure. We're appreciative for Joe Turner and Kelly Polonis. Uh, Great Southern Bank is serious about convenience. With nearly 100 banking centers in six states, hundreds of ATMs and mobile and online banking services, you're always in touch with your money. Learn more at greatsouthernbank.com. Other sponsors that we're grateful for and handpicked include Highland Dairy, Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance, Bill Grant Ford and Bolivar, Story Construction, West Logging, Greg and Melinda Burnett, and Springfield Yard Cards. We'll talk about them throughout the show. So we have a great show on tap for you tonight. We're going to have Ada Barnes on. We've had to reschedule that. That's going to be within the next two weeks. And so we, um, I wanted to make sure and let you know that. But I'm really excited about our show tonight. Um, but before we get there, let's recap last week. If you missed last week, you can go to a acoachesperspective.com and listen to it or on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Verbal, and now on Helium Satellite Radio. We had um, a great show last week where we talked to university coaches. We spoke with President Cliff Smart and Provost Frank Einhellig from Missouri State University, and we talked about how the you know number one and number two guy and how they coach at a university and how their philosophy parallels with coaches of successful programs. And so it was a great show. We also congratulated Dr. Frank Einhellig on his upcoming retirement. So tonight... I'm super excited about this because I am such a football fan, and I love watching football. So the Super Bowl is always a lot of fun, but it also kind of, you know, signifies the, the close of the football season. And so I want to reflect, and I wanted to, to have in some officials, and I wanted to talk with them. And, and of course, we have had um, some tremendous, tremendous participation from some college coaches, college football coaches, and they have sent in a lot of questions. And so we have some officials tonight that are going to answer their questions. And then we also want to welcome you to the show, the National Coordinator of Instant Replay for the NCAA, Fox Sports NFL and NCAA Rules Analyst, and former coordinator of the NFL officials, Dean Blandino, as he joins us. Welcome to the show, Dean. Thanks for having me. Well, we're excited to have you, and we also have here in studio, we have um, Big Ten referee uh, Ron Snodgrass, who also um, called the Sugar Bowl this year, so welcome to the show, Ron. Thank you. Glad and to be here. Later on in the show, we are going to have a Mid-America Conference referee Ron Hudson is going to be joining us. So we're going to talk with the Stripes, and we are going to look at some of those questions that some of our college coaches has sent in. Um, but, you know, before that, I want to start with Dean. You know, Dean, you have... Um, kind of that that big picture overview of the football season at the collegiate level, at the NFL level. Um, talk to us just a little bit about what your overall perspective was of the season and kind of what the current status of the sport is in your opinion. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me just noticeable was just the return to a sense of normalcy with fans and, and full stadiums and obviously what's been going on around the world and certainly of more importance. But I think that was that was really important. I was lucky enough to go to the Super Bowl here in Los Angeles on Sunday and it was just an amazing event and and uh and that was really exciting and able to take my uh, my oldest son and, and experience that with him. Um, from a from an on-field perspective, whether it's college or the NFL, I think the game continues to evolve. And from an officiating perspective, I think the the application of instant replay continues to become uh, more involved in the game. And I think we're going to see, you know, at the NFL level, they they were getting involved in certain aspects of calls that maybe weren't 
um, reviewable in the past or they didn't have to be challenged by a coach. Replay could just come in and give objective information to help correct a, correct a call um, that was made, uh, you know, or not made on the field. And I think we're going to see more of that. But overall, I think the game is, you know, both games, whether it's the college game or the NFL game, they're in, they're in good hands and in a good place. And just looking forward to uh, the off season, but it, it's, it's always something going on. We've got rules meetings coming up in the next couple of weeks. And uh, I'll be interested to see what kind of rules changes come out for both the NFL and the NCAA. Well, can you give us a little bit kind of a, a sneak peek, if you will, about what your perspective is? Are there any rules from your point of view that's kind of glaring that need to be addressed either at the collegiate or professional level? Well, I think certainly at the NFL level, there's a lot of talk about the overtime rule. And, and you go back to the to the Chiefs and, and, and Bills, the playoff game, and, and should both teams, if the first team that gets the football should – if they score a touchdown, should the other team get a, get a possession? And I think that'll be a that'll be a lengthy discussion. And we we already are hearing some teams are are proposing changes to overtime. So I think there's a good chance that there could be some tweaks to the NFL overtime rule. Um, like I mentioned earlier, instant replay. I think you'll look at you look at calls that you know whether it's the Super Bowl and a missed face mask call and which has an impact. Um, would that be something that the NFL would consider to make reviewable? Um, I think that'll be part of the conversation. On the college side, um, I, I wouldn't anticipate major, major changes. This is a rules change year. The college cycle is a little bit different where, where you can only change rules every two years unless they're player safety related, and this is an on-year for rules changes. So I would anticipate some changes, uh, but I don't think you're going to see major major changes i think targeting and, and and other player safety rules are in are in a good place right now well and that was my next question as i wanted to talk a little bit about targeting um how do you think that went this season how do you kind of assess how that rule did it make the game safer um, do you feel like it was implemented well yeah i think that rule you know that rule is going on um you know 10 or so years and and it has made the game safer you watch plays and you watch players adjust and and, and adjust the way they, they approach, whether it's a player in a defenseless posture or even just making a tackle on a ball carrier and keeping the head up or keeping the head to the side. And I think that is a result of the, of the targeting rule and, and good coaching and, and good adjustments by the, the student athletes. Um, I think we saw, we saw some, some um, high-profile games early in the season that had more, more targeting calls. I remember the game on, on Labor Day, um, Labor Day night where there were four targeting calls in the first half. That's unusual. And I think it generated a lot of discussion, especially around the media, because it is such a big penalty where you're going to be disqualified from that game and, and, and potentially the first half of the second game if the, if the foul occurred in the second half. And, uh, and so we did see a lot of conversation, hear a lot of conversation about the rule. But, but then as the course of the season went on, you tend to, to see how it normally goes. It tends to regulate and, and really, at the FBS level, there was only one disqualification every five games as a result of a targeting foul being enforced. So you're not talking about a lot of situations where student athletes are being are being you know disqualified from from a game. And I think that's a positive, and 
And I think that rule, uh, you know, in 2021 was, uh, you know, applied well by the on-field officials and by the replay officials and the coaches and the players. Well, we have an on-field official here, and I want to ask him a little bit about it because he, he kind of had a front row seat to that <laughs> game with the four targeting calls as he was the yeah. referee on that game. And not to speak specifically to that game in particular, um, but Ron, tell me a little bit about what you felt like implementing that targeting rule since it was such an emphasis this season. Yeah, I think, well, it's been an emphasis for a number of years, but I think we're getting on field and in the booth, as Dean mentioned, we're getting better with it. And I think the adjustments in terms of making the game safer have occurred. Um, so I think the rule has has uh, made an impact and it's done what it's designed to do is make the game safer and so because it's changed player behavior uh, i guess the one question i might have for dean is dean now that we have changed player behavior and we're probably getting players to abide by it and get the head out of the tackle do you think we still need to have the disqualification as part of the penalty now that players have adjusted and i mean we'd still penalize it but do you think that that sev- severe of the penalty ne- still needs to be a part of it yeah, it's a great question. I think that'll be that'll be part of the rules committee discussions, and there there has been some conversation around eliminating the carryover, and and I think that that's a tough one because you not only lose the player for that game, but but for the second, the first half of the of the next game, like I said, if if it occurs in the second half, and I think that's that'll be part of the discussion. I don't think whether it's the rules committee, the the conference commissioners, or anyone involved in in college football wants to pull back on on player safety because it is of utmost importance but like you said you know with the players adjusting and with less of these calls occurring and everybody seems to be on the same page do we need the carryover and i think that might be something that we could see go away in the in the near future that sounds good. All right. Well, Dean, I we have got a lot of questions for you that have been sent in by some college coaches, and we are going to get to those, but we're going to take our first break, and we want to thank Great Southern Bank for, for being our presenting sponsor. So, Dean Blandino, you stick around for the next segment? You got it. All right. We'll be right back here on A Coach's Perspective with Dean Blandino and Ron Snodgrass. Welcome back to A Coach's Perspective. It's Jenny Hopkins, your host for this evening. And this segment is sponsored by Highland Dairy. Highland Dairy is owned by dairy farmers, and they've been providing a great selection of nutritious dairy products since 1938. It's a proven fact. Scientific studies, professional dietitians, they all agree that the ideal sports beverage recovery drink available to athletes after a workout is chocolate milk. And Highland Dairy has the best tasting chocolate. They're a proud sponsor of A Coach's Perspective. All right, so we're back. We're talking. Uh, we're talking collegiate and professional football tonight, and we have Dean Blandino joining us, and Ron Snodgrass, and and Ron Hudson will be on later in the show. Um, but Dean, I want to jump right back into and, and talk a little bit specifically about replay. And I, you know, as you also are a TV analyst, and so you're often educating you know TV viewers about the rules and officiating. And when there's a replay, you know, you kind of explain what is happening. You know, since that role has has kind of become commonplace with all of the networks. You know, do you get a sense that the public is becoming a little bit more knowledgeable about the rules of the game? I do, and then that's and that's really the main focus of of the position that I that I'm in, and and other all of the networks seem to have somebody 
that can help. And one of the things that, that we do, um, not just come on the broadcast and explain a, a particularly unusual play or maybe it's a replay review or something more complicated than your normal um, situation, I think we're able to communicate with the, the, the TV producer in the TV truck and that person can then relay the information to the on-air talent. So then the on-air talent can seamlessly explain something. And uh, because what we don't want is, is, is uh, uh, an analyst or a play-by-play person misquoting a rule or interpreting something incorrectly. And then the people at home, the people watching the game have, you know, don't have the right, the right understanding of what just occurred. So I do think, I do think that it's getting better, but the reality is we're talking about we're talking about football fans, and they're very passionate, and they're always going to see the game through a particular lens. So they may not like it when it goes against their team or their school, but I think they are more knowledgeable. Well, and, and speaking about the communication, when you are, you know, you might be in New York City or you know, or in a studio somewhere, and you're watching these games, and you have to come on and you have to interpret what is happening. Plus. You know, you have communication with the officials, the on-field officials. Um, you know, how do you think that um, relationship works with the referee? Or maybe I should even start with Ron Snodgrass on this. And, you know, you've got you've got someone in your ear that is explaining and, and talking to you. And is, is, it's not intrusive, but it is um, something that is distracting, um, but at the same time, extremely helpful. So how does that relationship help you with your on-field decisions? I'll start with Ron and then go to Dean. Yeah, at the collegiate level, we do, obviously, you'll see the officials with an earbud or an earpiece in their ear, and we, and that is for intra, between the crewmates, we can talk to each other. But there's also a guy in the booth or a gal in the booth that uh, called the communicator, and then we, we do get information. Hey, uh, the, uh, the, the spot of the foul was the 20-yard line. So, you know, we get some corrections occasionally, uh, administratively like that. And I know Dean can probably talk a little more about how that occurs at the NFL level because they, they are, uh, have the New York office involved. But at the collegiate level, there is that communication both between the officials on the field and, uh, some helpful information from the, from the folks in the booth. Dean, you want to add to that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's basically how it works. At the collegiate level, there are different conferences have different setups in terms of command centers and and you know, whether it's the, the SEC or the ACC, several of those conferences have collaboration within the the replay process. There there isn't somebody from a central location that is helping the on field officials with their calls, whether it's offensive holding or or, or uh, offside, something like that. But within the replay process, there is somebody at a central location for certain college conferences. And then, as Ron said, at the NFL, there is a central location, the NFL office in New York, that is part of that replay process. And they actually make the decisions. Um, once it goes to review, the, there's a small group of decision makers in the New York office that are responsible for making the decision, whereas in the college rule, it's the replay official at the stadium that makes the decision. And so that's, that's probably the biggest difference. So when we're talking about, um, you know, replay, do you feel like there should be any kind of limit of replay? Um, do you feel like uh, where there should be more decisions made on the, on the field? Or do you feel like replay may be needing to expand? Um, should we expand and review what is a reviewable play um, and expand the replay options in football? 
Well, from my perspective, I, I think it's just like anything else. There, you need to have a balance. And, and I think Ron can certainly speak of the on-field experience, but most on-field officials, when replay first came in, whether it was college or came back to the NFL in the late 90s, they were a little, little bit hesitant to, to, to say, well, what is this about? My, my, my decisions are now going to be questioned. And, but I think as it's evolved, the on-field officials see it as a tool and they can help. And, and the last thing any official wants, whether it's a replay official or an on-field official, is, is, and certainly a coordinator or someone in a supervisory role, is for a game to be impacted by a, an incorrect call that just because the game happened so fast, um, the, the officials didn't get it the first time on the field, and replay is able to help in those situations. But I think it's a balance. You need the on-field officials to, to be able to officiate and administer the game. You can't do it from replay, but there are opportunities to help with video and have the access to the different angles where you can help correct some, some mistakes that, that do happen from time to time. So I, for me, it's a balance. Um, and uh, the on-field officials still need to be the first, you know, responsible for officiating the game. The call on the field is what is what triggers replay, and then replay can help when needed. Exactly. I think um, as an official on the field, we, we go into the game talking about um, work the game, like we've been trained to work the game and and uh, forget it. You know, we will use the language. You know, forget about replay. Just call the game. Now, that being said, there are certain calls. I'll give an example for me as a referee. What we call pass fumble. Quarterbacks in the pocket. A defender comes around the edge, and it was it was it a pass or did it get knocked out of his hand before it came? I mean, that happens in a nanosecond. And so, knowing that I have replay, if I have a question in my head whether or not it was a forward pass or a fumble, I'm going to default to fumble. Okay, So there are certain plays like that. But as an official, we can't use it as a crutch. We have to trust our training and what we've been taught to do and officiate the game in that manner. Well said, well said. All right, well, let's um, get to one of the questions that was sent in from a college coach. This is, um, this is actually from a Division II coach, NCAA Division II coach wants to know um, why there's inconsistency in the replay um, implementation, like NCAA, NFL, NAIA. They all have different levels of replay, and do you think there's ever going to be consistency in the future of those? Well, I think that it's a great question. I think there's just different resources, right? The NFL has has greater resources than than college conferences and certainly as you get to you get to the lower levels of college football they just don't don't have the resources that the NFL has and 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 so i think i think the general concept and the general process whatever whatever level of football it is that has replay is more or less the same but you're talking about with the super bowl and nbc's production where there's there's 60 cameras that are focused on the field and 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 super slow-mo and the ability to do different things. And then you go to a smaller college conference that has replay that you might have, you might have three cameras and, and two of them are operated by students. And, and so it's just, again, it's, I think that's probably the, the, the biggest difference again is the resources that, that you have to, uh, to implement replay systems and the money you can spend on them. And, and I think that's, I don't think we're ever going to see, the the you know a lower level college conference have the same equipment and same system as the NFL or the same ability 
to do to do certain things, but I think the, the general process and the concept is more or less the same. I can understand that for sure. Um, here's another question before we let you go. I want to ask you this one too that was sent in, and this really doesn't have to do with replay, um, but but tell me, you know, the NFL has seven officials on on the field. NCAA has eight. Um, do you think that the NFL is ever going to add that additional official on the field, or will that stay consistent? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, there was probably seven or eight years ago, there was a real push, and I thought we thought it was going to happen. We thought the NFL, we were going to go to eight officials. Um, and it, it kind of went away. The NFL is interesting because the NFL back in, I want to say 2008, 2009, moved the umpire out of the defensive backfield. So the traditional spot for the umpire was in the defensive backfield, probably at the the depth of the linebackers. And, and there, and there was, there, there is, and that's still where they are in the, in the college game. And, and in the NFL game, there were, there were situations where that, that person was getting run into and it became a safety issue. Now the college game is a little bit different. So I don't think, I don't think we've seen as much of that on the college level. And that's why that position is still there. Um, but I think the NFL, knowing that you move that person for safety reasons to put them back in there, uh, would be a concern. And I think they've really focused more on replay and, and, and that extra set of eyes comes from the booth versus, versus on the field. And they've changed their mechanics and done some things with the back judge to be able to pick up some of the things that the umpire used to see from that perspective and, and, uh, and some other things with the line of scrimmage officials to be able to pick up an eligible downfield and, and, and some of those calls. So um, I don't think we'll see eight officials in the NFL, at least in the near future. Um, I think they're going to continue to look at replay as that extra set of eyes. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, Dean, I really appreciate your time. I know that you are very busy. You do have a lot of rules meeting coming up. You're going to be um, traveling all over the country, I am sure, and answering a lot of these questions. Um, oh, but, you know, real quick, how's the stand-up comedy going? You doing that? Any? <laughs> no, I just do it. I just I do it with my kids in the car there. to keep them occupied. That's that's. That's the extent of my stand-up career. That's a rough crowd. <laughs> That's a tough crowd. It's a very rough crowd. The six-year-old is still, I'm, I still got my, my, my good stuff with the six-year-old crowd. The 11-year-old crowd, not so much. <laughs> That's understandable. Well, I sure do appreciate you joining us on A Coach's Perspective tonight and giving us your point of view, and we always appreciate your valuable time. Thanks for having me. See you, Dean. See you, Rob. All right, we're going to... Take our next break, and I want to thank Highland Dairy for sponsoring this segment, along with Greg and Melinda Burnett, as they support local and thoughtful radio. We'll be right back here on A Coach's Perspective. Coach's Perspective. I'm Jenny Hopkins, and this segment is sponsored by Bill Grant Ford in Bolivar. Hey, they know cars, they know trucks, they know SUVs, and they know how to keep their customers happy and loyal. I've been one of them for over 25 years. Give Kelly Grant and Shane Rainey a call. They will take care of you. Give them a call at 417-326-7671. 
We also are grateful for West Logging for sponsoring this segment. Go to westlogging.com. Contact Danny West for a free consultation. He's going to treat your land like his own. And we appreciate Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance also sponsoring this segment. All right, so we're back in the studio here with, uh, we have Ron Snodgrass, and then now joining us from the Mid-America Conference is Ron Hudson. Welcome to the show, Ron. Thank you very much, Jenny. Well, we've got two white hats here, so maybe we're going to learn something. I don't know. You guys can be the judge. But um, I'm excited to have you both on. I appreciate Dean uh, Blandino joining us here at the first segment of the show. Um, but I, I spent a lot of time on the phone last night. I was talking to college football coaches at, at, at all levels, and I asked them, you know, hey, I'm going to have a couple white hats here. Um, two guys that are on national television almost every weekend in the fall calling these giant games and you're going to get a chance to ask them whatever you want to. And so um, they have sent in a series of questions, and so I'd like to get right to those. Do you all feel like you're ready for that? Okay, bring it on. If I don't know <laughs> it, I'll defer to Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, so one of the first questions is kind of a general question that I'm going to start off with, and, and that, um, that was kind of an interesting one. I'm not sure where the origin of this is coming from, but I do like this question. What is your philosophy on game-defining decisions game defining decisions you know that's something that uh you know as an official when the game is on the line and it comes down to that last second play what's your philosophy i'll start with ron snodgrass first yeah i you know officials um have a goal of just calling the game managing the game and not being a part of the outcome okay now sometimes the game dictates differently. But I think uh, in terms of a game-defining decision, I think you got to go into as an official, if it was holding in the first quarter, it's holding in the fourth quarter under a minute. So coaches want consistency. As officials, we want to be consistent. And if it's a foul in the four- first quarter, it's a foul in the fourth quarter. And as and if it's, if it's impactful, obviously, in those – crunch time in the final minutes and seconds of a game. But if it was a foul in the first quarter and we called it then, you should call it then. And that's consistency. And you, I think officials put ourselves in a, uh, we get criticized. You know, there have been games where football games where, you know, they just, they don't throw a flag and they don't, you know, but you've seen it, you saw it called in another game or earlier. Um, that, uh, goes against, the uh, the model of consistency was was what uh, which which we're after. What would you say, Hud? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, we're in the business uh, of making difficult decisions, right? So, I guess I would just say that at the end of those games, there's so much more focus. So we just have to make sure that we are, you know, really spot on with what we call or what we don't call. I, yeah. I think that's a very good point, and and I think sometimes that um, you know that is the biggest thing that I heard from a lot of coaches is how can officials be more consistent, and you know that is what they are wanting. They're wanting the consistency. That's always, um, always, and that's always the goal. Um, but that is something that I think a lot of times uh, you know coaches will 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 bark about a little bit, um, you know, and right and rightly so because sometimes you will get one crew that might call it a little bit different from another crew. And you do want that consistency. So, so let, on that note, um, one of the other questions kind of goes into that. You, you two are the white hats. You're the referee. You're in charge of those, of your crews. 
So when is there an appropriate time for you to come over and negate um, a, wrong, a, a call that is bluntly wrong from one of your crew members? When can you override calls? You want me to take that one? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all have different areas we're supposed to be looking in. Um, and so for Ron and I, we're not looking way downfield. So it's more on – it's more – the the officials who should be looking in that area um, to talk to each other, to have discussions. You see it on TV all the time. Um, you know, there's some gray area, Jenny, just like when when we were repping basketball for you, right? So there's, there's <laughs> if you would listen to me, over. there is no gray area. <laughs> <laughs> but there's that gray area where sometimes two people could be looking in the same area. And if one person throws a flag and another one doesn't, then, you know, we need to have a discussion as to what each person saw, and we go from there. And then as referees, Ron and I will go down there and we'll listen to the discussion. Um, maybe we'll ask questions, try to get a little bit more info, and you just have that discussion and, um, you know, try to figure out where we're going to go with it. For me, I don't know his policy, but for me, if you throw a flag, you're the only one that can pick it up. We might try to talk you, you know, talk to you about different things, but it's your flag, and you know what you saw. So that's that's kind of how we do it. That's similar. I mean, but you, but we also have those conversations, and I know um, uh, you do these in, in pregame. Let's let's talk about flag pickups and what that communication is going to look like and sound like on the field. And you want to have yeah. guys that are willing to uh, kind of fall on their sword and say, "Yeah, I kick this one. Let's pick up the flag." If if they're getting information from a crewmate that's saying, "Dude." I got nothing on this. You know, we've, we've got to pick this up. They got to, they got to own it. And, uh, that's what you, that's what you hope to have on your crews, people like that. And I can admire that. I can admire, um, you know, when they, when they do see that there's a mistake or being receptive to that feedback from someone that might have a different angle. Um, I can, I can definitely respect that for sure. All right. So this question is not going to shock either one of you, but every college coach, 100% that I spoke to had this question on their list. Uh, <laughs> what is pass interference? Okay. Uh, so this was the number one question. And it's kind of, you know, I look at it as kind of a block charge in, in basketball. You know, it's, a, it's sometimes it's a 50-50. It's judgment call. It's angle. It's There's all kinds of variables. But pass interference, how do each of you uh, work with your crews and what do you see in pass interference? Yeah, what they've done with that, is the training that we get on that is that uh, they put it in categories. There's different categories of pass interference, playing through the black, playing through the back, not playing the ball, cut off. They have all these di- arm bar. They have these different categories. So, and then we're trained on what those all look like on the field. And so the officials making those calls put it in a bucket or put it in a category. Uh, but the bottom line, even though you'll see pass plays and the defender and the receiver and there's contact and you'll say, well, why, why is that not passer? There could be contact. I think the, the wording that they like us to, to focus on was their mis- material restriction, right. uh, taking that player away. And it could be both offensive or defensive pass interference. Typically it's defense, right? But, uh, it's, was there material restriction? So that's language that we use to help us define what we're going to call in the field. And, um, and, and again, the bottom line, it is judgment. But by putting it in categories and uh, defining what those are, what they look like, 
was their material restriction. We hope to narrow that to uh, to a more consistent call. Anything to add to that, Ron? There's not much I can add to that. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, this was another question that was sent in on and off the line of scrimmage. You know, how do you determine who is on the line and off the line? And I, I think that sounds like an easy question. Um, but this was a coach that said, I, you know, I've been coaching for 30 years and I sometimes watch games and I'm like, how is that? You know, I'm not, I'm not recognizing this formation. Are they on the line? Are they off the line? How, how do you determine that? I'll take that one. Yeah, yeah. he worked on the line of scrimmage. He can answer that one. <laughs> it's, it's not easy, but a lot of the times what you're doing is you're just working with players. Um, you know, the rule says that the, you know, to be on the line, you have to be breaking the waist of the center. Now, it's very difficult sometimes, um, but you've got your wide receivers and they're talking to you. You know, I'm on the line, I'm off the line, you're working with them. And it's one of those things where you're, you don't want to trouble trouble, but they need to do it correctly because there could be an advantage gained if the defense doesn't realize a guy is off or they think a guy is on, right? So, but, uh, you know, a lot of, and you try to preventive officiate and you try to work with people, but, you know, there gets to, to be a time when you've tried to prevent enough and, you know, a flag is warranted. But, you know, hopefully we go through a game and we don't have a large number of illegal formation calls. We're trying to get them to do it the right way, and the players, they do a really good job with it. All right, so along that line, this is a, this was a question that was sent in, and I actually got this from three different coaches. Um, you, you call a penalty, and, um, you know, let's say holding on 77. Um, let, me, let me do my impression a little bit. Holding, 77, <laughs> defense. That's pretty you, That's not bad. I'll work on it. <laughs> I mean, offense, offense, offense. So, so you have a holding call on offense. Um, tell me, uh, do you ever do back-to-back calls? Do you ever see back-to-back? Let's say 77 holds on, on, on offense again. What um, Do you ever have any back-to-back calls? Do you look for those? I, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, if it's a foul, it's a foul. And you have to be consistent. So you, you don't see it that often. If you call the foul on a player, let's say holding, um, it's not to say it couldn't happen on the very next play. And if it does, as official uh, and using the consistency model, you need to call it. Um, so it, it, it can happen. It's not something that happens that often. I agree. All right. Next question. You guys are doing a pretty good job with these, that's for sure. Um, are there any penalties or rules that, that you really don't, I guess, philosophically agree with? You all, you both have been around the game of football for a very long time. Are there any rules that you could change if you could? I, um, you know, you, in the, in your first segment, we're talking with Dean and, you know, we talked about targeting. I mean, I think the targeting rule is met its goal in changing player behavior. I, and that's why I mentioned to Dean about the disqualification part of it. I think there's probably, I think we're at the point now where the disqualification part of it could probably be lightened. And he mentioned that that may be part of the discussion for next fall in, in college football, at least the carryover part of it. Uh, but I think the rules are in good place. I don't know, HUD, do you have any thoughts on that? No, I just think there's some things that are, that are kind of difficult to, you know, you have yard lines where players have to be this far, 
can't be this far downfield, and sometimes the logistics are difficult. Um, for example, the low blocks. Yeah. Um, but you know those player safety fouls. I mean, they're very important. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. The college uh, football rules are are complicated. I mean, there's different penalties and different things. There, it's not an easy rule book by any stretch of the means. So, uh, but all of that to be said, uh, I think. There's no rule that I'm, say, adamantly opposed to or anything like that. Which is one of the reasons, because it is so complicated and there are so many different situations that you prepare for that I think a lot of people don't realize how much, um, you know, during the week um, between games that you all work with your crews um, and some of the professional development you do, the film that you watch, uh, the training that you do. Um, it is not something that you, you pick up on, you know, Saturday morning and then you, you don't think about it after Saturday night. It is something that throughout the week, um, so get, give a little snapshot of, of what you do during the week to try and work on some of these situations so that when you know the rules, it's second nature when it comes to calling them. Yeah, so it's an avocation. It's a, it's a hobby, but it's a full-time hobby. I mean, it's, right. it's going on now. Uh, Ron and I both are in a meeting this week and with our conferences, so... I mean, it's a it's a full time job for an avocation. It's in the off in the off season and in season. It's it's a day to day. You just don't show up and do what we do. And so there's a lot of preparation that goes in the months leading up to the season, and then during the season, it's it's almost daily. So. Well, and I and I know that as a coach, I can appreciate that. Um, I can appreciate the time that you put into that. So, when you are calling a game, um, are there any um, penalties that? What do you think is the hardest call to make, and and which ones do you not like calling? What do you um, like? Oh, you've got to be so sure if you're going to call that. All right. So, kind of a two part question: What's the hardest call that you make, and what are some of the penalties that um, that you don't like calling? I'll start with um, Ron Hudson on that one. Um, so from an official standpoint, I just assume not call any fouls and have a game that was perfectly clean. <laughs> that way we, that way we go back to what you were saying earlier and we totally stay out of it. But you know, the pass interferences are very difficult. You've got these players they are so fast and they're running, you know, across going away from officials they are running downfield and you just got those parts are moving so quickly. That's, they're extremely difficult. I would say back where Ron and I are at the, uh, intentional grounding, it's a big call um, because it's a it's enforced from where the ball is thrown, and it's also a loss of down. So there could be potentially be a lot of yardage. Then what we have to also take into account is where does he throw the ball from? Where does the ball go? There's just a, a whole lot that goes into that. So that's a pretty significant foul that that we have. Um, and the targeting is difficult too. These guys, like I said, they're so fast now and. Um, it just happens so quickly that it, you know, it's very difficult as well. Well said, well said. Okay, this is a specific question. Uh, this is kind of a, a specific question that I actually had two of the coaches send in this question. Uh, how soon after the clock, the game clock hits zero, um, excuse me, not the game clock, the play clock, I think that's what he meant. The play clock hits zero. Do you throw the flag for delay of game? Yeah. So that's that's what we call a um, – we have our rules and we have our mechanics. Our mechanics is our how we officiate the game, where we stand and uh, how we make the decisions. So the play clock is running down, and this is the back judge. It's in the middle of the field, 25 yards down from the snap of the football. He's looking at that. So he sees – 
zero on the clock, and he immediately looks at the ball. And if the center hasn't moved the ball, it's still in his hands. It hasn't started moving back to the quarterback. That's a foul. If it's on its way back, it's already started moving, you let it go. That's the mechanic of that. So zero, go to the football. And if it's moving, no foul. If it's still stationary, foul. All right. That's good clarification. All right, this is, uh, of course, one of my favorites. Uh, when a coach is communicating with you, air quotes, uh, do you tune them out or do you listen? What does it take for um, for you to really listen to a coach and, and hear uh, what they want to get across to you? What is the best way to communicate with you? You want me to take that? Go ahead, hon. <laughs> Don't fight over that one. <laughs> I think I remember communicating with you a few times on the basketball court, Jenny. Yes, I believe so. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was it was always productive communication. But no, I one of the things that we you know we take pride in, especially at the levels we work, um, is excellent communication with the coaches. Um, there's so much on the line uh, that you know we just have to be good at that. And you said when do you tune them out? And I'm going to be honest, I don't think we tune them out. I want to you know want to show them that respect and and listen to what they're saying and you know try to give them um, an answer to the question that they have and if I you know what we tell them is if we don't look I might not have the answer for you right now because it might have happened on the opposite side of the field but I'll get you the answer and I'll bring it back to you and they're usually very receptive they don't do well with just ignoring and I don't think that was you know that's not professional and we we don't need to do that yeah what do you think Ron yes I'm. Without naming names, or I did have a situation where we had uh, a conversation with a coach, and you know, you listen, like Ron said, you're you're professional, you you pay attention to what their concern is. Now you may not agree, and so in this situation, I had with a coach, he wasn't going to get his way, and so it was a hey, we're, we're going to move on. I'm not I'm not ignoring what you had to say, but we're going to go a different direction. And this is the decision we made. So, uh, but you have to pay, um, pay respect to what they're saying and listen to it and, uh, go from there. I think there's a level of psychology that you both have to have a little bit of training in, um, a little bit of patience. Um, a lot of the conversations that you have, I mean, especially with fans is one way coaches with two is two way conversation, but you have to have a lot of patience and, and there has to be a little bit of a psychology that, that you all have to keep your head and keep your temperament. Um, that's got to be a struggle sometimes for you. I mean, it, it really does. How, how difficult is it sometimes um, to bite your tongue and not um, and not, not go at a coach as intense as they are coming at you? Well, we're, we're, we're competitors just like coaches are and we want to be right, and but, not, but I think you have to uh, – Bottom line is be be professional in our judgments and our communications, and um, you know we want to be steadfast in the in and uh, in our rulings and that kind of thing. But um, you can't you can't you can't give it back to them. I mean that's just right. not being official. Right. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's not our role. It's not our place. Um, so we're not always right. And neither are coaches. And, what? And so, Wait a minute. Um, <laughs> I can but, edit that part out. But when there's, uh, but the default is we're always right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
That is so true. That is so true. Well, uh, Ron Hudson, I appreciate you joining us tonight. I, I know that you have you are very busy. Um, you have a lot going on in, in your world, and I appreciate you taking the time and pushing pause and being with us this evening and giving your perspective as a referee in college football. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Enjoy your show. Thank you. I appreciate that. And we will have you back on when we do our officials panel in the future. It's one of my favorite shows to always get to pick the brain of the officials. Um, it's, and Dr. Snodgrass, thank you so much for joining us as well. Uh, we appreciate uh, your time. I know that it is also very valuable, and I wish you all the best of luck in the off season during your trainings. Thank you very much. And we're going to move into our post-game talk. Our post-game talk is sponsored by Story Construction, high-quality service. Go to story.com, S-T-O-R-E-E.com. All right, so let's get into this post-game talk. You know, tonight we reviewed a profession that constantly makes decisions and split-second judgments. Their job takes a lot of focus. Judging actions of others needs clear rules to follow. And once you know those rules, then you must study them and know them inside and out so that they become second nature and that they become natural. Judging actions are tough. You won't get it right away, and you won't get it all the time. You won't always see it correctly. However, just because you miss something or make a mistake doesn't mean that you stop. When we look at players and coaches as being competitive, and as you heard tonight, and my guest expressed, officials are also competitive. They want to get the call right. Um, they want to make the right decisions. And making judgments takes preparation. It takes guts. It takes competitiveness to get it right. And that is my challenge to you this week. That is how you can also make decisions in your life. Be competitive and be that person that always strives to get it right. That is how champions do it. And I'm going to remind you as I do each and every week, be a good human and live your life like a champion. Live like a human champion. This is Jenny Hopkins, and this has been A Coach's Perspective.